Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. I like to start every day with a whole grain high fiber breakfast cereal topped with two cups of fresh blueberries, blackberries and raspberries. And they're especially tasty when they're fresh from the yard. Here in California, harvest season for those are perhaps six to eight weeks away. And wherever you live, you can probably grow some kind of berries. We covered growing blueberries back in episode 67. Today, in episode 182, we talk with master gardener and expert home blackberry, boysenberry, and raspberry grower, Pam Bone, who has lots of good tips for growing these tasty, healthy treats. Today, it's all about berries. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots. And we'll do it all in just a little bit over 30 minutes. Let's go. We're at the house of Master Gardener Pam Bone here in Sacramento County, and she loves raspberries. And you ought to see her raspberry garden. So today we're going to talk some raspberry basics. And Pam, this is a rather phenomenal stretch of raspberries you have here. It looks to be about 25 feet long and about uh, 8 feet deep. But what I like is that you have incorporated rows between the uh, raspberries so that you never have to reach more than uh, two and a half feet to pick the berries. So that was smart thinking of putting the rows that you can walk on to be able to reach. That is really critical, actually. It's really difficult. Otherwise, uh, you don't get into the middle to harvest. It's hard for pruning later on. It's hard for pest control. It's really important. So what we did is we uh, have some raised beds. Uh, they originally were... Uh, two by sixes. They've sort of disintegrated over the years, but uh, but the soil has built up. And, and then between those raised beds, then we put down a lot of mulch. And over the years, it's raised up as well. And so what we have is uh, pathways throughout the whole area. And uh, you can get, you can reach and, and pick and harvest, and it's really easy to get to it. And it makes it uh, a lot easier than a big solid block. Uh, and that is really important. How adaptable are raspberries to the United States? Are there zone limitations? Well, some people would tell you that they can't grow raspberries in Sacramento, that they have a really horrible time. And we've been growing raspberries here at our house for practically the whole time we've lived here, which is nearly 42 years. And there are certain varieties for certain locations. So you have to know what will do well here. You also have to know kind of location they require, too. How much sun can they take? You know, you have to have sun in order to produce the berry itself. But um, here in our area, we have been planting Heritage and Oregon 1030, and those are varieties that are adapted to the heat. And the Heritage variety is still available everywhere. My daughter grows Heritage in uh, Washington, in Pullman, Washington. So these are uh, what we call the fall bearers or ever bearers. And 
and they are a little bit different variety than uh, the kind that you put up on a trellis and all, which actually they're much easier to prune and, and that. So, yes, just uh, go to your local cooperative extension or your nursery and find out what varieties are adapted to your area and what are their growth habit and do you want that kind of growth habit? How much work are you willing to do with uh, training them and pruning them and everything? So uh, we've d- adapted very well here and produce huge crops of berries. If you look at the picture that's with today's episode of Pam's Raspberry Bed, you, you see a lot of T-posts sticking up with a lot of wires. And judging by the heights of the wires, it looks like these raspberries get maybe six feet tall. Oh, yes, definitely. They will grow at least that far. Um, and then, in fact, sort of hang over. So I'd say they might even be seven feet tall. They grow beautifully in our area in the location that we have and very vigorously. And we found that this system maintains them without having to do a huge trellis system because what these are, uh, they are pruned down, not to the ground, but to basically brown sticks in the um uh, winter months. And then the new spring growth comes up and then it keeps growing and then new growth comes up from the uh, base uh, to produce a fall crop. What we found is that uh, it's almost like creating a little playpen for them. All you really need are wires that go around just to hold the berries inside so that they'll be remain upright. So all we do here is you just come on over here, uh, Fred, and you just move the berries as they grow into the wires and and then they're just held inside. And so we've got a center wire here, too, just to, so they won't flop. And it's a it's a really ideal system. Uh, we found it works really, really well for this type of um, ever bear or fall bear raspberry. What's the spacing on these plants? Well, what were what was the spacing on the plant originally and what is it now? <laughs> yeah, right. Right now, they're probably my husband just went and uh, we harvest a lot of plants that come up in between the rows and we have another little nursery area that's too much shade for very much berry production. So we then harvest and and we place plants that die out. And I would say they're probably about maybe a foot apart uh, or so. They probably started out back in the day about two feet apart. But uh, no, this this is a block system. It's okay for them to be a little bit crowded. But you can see there's some areas that are a little bit op- more open and other areas that uh, it's a little bit uh, more compact and, and that. So I don't think you can really mess up with this system at all. And they can be fairly uh, close together. Remember, raspberries send up nice little new plants all over the place. And so if you space them far apart, they're going to fill in on their own anyhow. So you don't have to uh, crowd them when you first start. This is being irrigated by a drip irrigation system. You have lines of quarter inch tubing. It looks like the emitters are are spaced at eight or 12 inches Mm -hmm. apart. And uh, the lines themselves are maybe a foot apart each to ensure um, equal uh, soaking of the soil. Are, are raspberries a thirsty plant? They are. Um, they do need even watering, regular watering. And we did find out kind of the hard way. We've always uh, used a drip irrigation system. But back in the old day, before they had pressure compensating uh, inline emitters, uh, we had uh, this laser tubing. And it just really produced a lot of water. And we wanted to be more efficient. And so even though it was on a drip system, we wanted to change to these uh, new lines. And we found out we've got to put a lot more of these in here because these plants 
plants are thirstier than we thought. And that laser tubing was putting out a lot more water. Luckily, it puts that out very efficiently. But yes, I would say uh, we do water these once a week. And but when we do, they may have to run for uh, four to six hours at a time, depending on the heat and how hot it gets in the summertime here or what kind of a hot spell we're having or uh, whatever. We may then uh, turn it on twice a week and just but not run it quite as long. So I adjust it. But right now it's set for uh, once a week and I believe it's on for four hours. All right. It's springtime when we're recording right. this. So those right. are would be spring hours of irrigation. Exactly. Right. And we increase it. What we want to do is increase the amount of water that is put on at any one time. So we're not doing any shallow irrigation. Uh, these roots are not extremely deep at all, uh, not like a fruit tree or anything, but uh, you do want to wet the soil down at least a foot to 18 inches uh, and keep it moist. And we mulch. Everything is mulched, 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 and a lot of compost over the top as a top dressing to save water, to keep the water uh, into the soil. Try to be as energy and water efficient as we possibly can. But berries, I will say, just like any fruit crop in your landscape, if you really have to save water because you're in a drought or, or whatever, then get rid of your lawn because you can't get rid of your fruit trees. And unfortunately, fruit trees, berries and other things like that take just about as much water as a lawn, if not more. But look at what you're getting out of it. You can eat the berries. It's kind of hard to eat grass. That's exactly right. So we just keep reducing the lawn if we feel like we need to save water. With all the compost and mulch you're using, what sort of fertilizer regimen do you need for raspberries? Well, actually, uh, we don't have to do much of anything, but once a year in the spring, we do uh, over top dress with uh, usually something high in nitrogen, just like all fruits uh, of all sorts. And we grow a lot of fruits in our landscape. Uh, they need nitrogen to grow and to produce fruit. People think, oh, you need phosphorus and potassium. But, you know, we've done a lot of soil testing in our area. And I worked for the Cooperative Extension for many years and saw a lot of soil tests come by. And uh, for the most part, uh, we don't see a lot of phosphorus and potassium deficiencies in our woody plants and our fruit trees. Our berries, they might need a little bit more because they don't have as extensive as a root system. So what I usually generally do is just buy something that is an all-purpose, a higher in nitrogen fertilizer. As long as it doesn't have any kind of a weed killer in it, lawn fertilizer works just, just as well. Yeah, exactly. There are a lot of good like starter lawn fertilizers that take their time to break down and can feed the plants for a, a much longer period of time. And actually, lawn fertilizers are, are a fairly good choice for a lot of uh, massive plantings like raspberries here. And also, the, as like you say, as long as you avoid uh, the weed and feed products uh, and just stick with the feed products, you're okay. That's true. And actually, this year we did put on a lawn fertilizer. Uh, we went out and purchased, uh, we needed some more for the lawn itself. And so I thought, well, let me look for one that uh, is high in nitrogen, but has a little uh, phosphorus and potassium and a little P and K in there. And that'll be good for the berry plants. We also, uh, in addition, grow uh, boysenberries as well. And so I needed uh, something that uh, we could uh, do uh, for those as well. And then we can just use the same old thing on our citrus and our... Uh, um, apple tree and everything else. Uh, one fertilizer makes it a lot easier. Raspberries, uh, harvest time is when and uh, how do you harvest them and how long can you store them? Well, the berries, uh, this particular variety, now remember, these are um, 
these are the two crop variety and a lot of people may grow raspberries that only produce a spring crop. This one also produces the fall crop. It's heritage, right? Heritage is the one that uh, you can find in the nurseries now. And it's, it's pretty much everywhere. I think they sell it all over the United States. That particular variety then will start bearing a crop in uh, late May, early June, and we'll get a pretty good crop then. In fact, actually, it might even be mid-May this year. It looks like some of the uh, flowers are getting pretty well developed already at the ends. Now, this is a, a flower fruiting cycle where these are the old canes from last year that were cut down. And then the uh, new growth that you see here is all from last year. As soon as these bear here in an, about another month or month and a half or so, then they are going to die back. And then all the new canes arising from below that are going to come up, they're going to produce then a fall crop. And I will say that it's kind of unpredictable, but most of the time our, quote, fall crop, and I should say fall with quotes around it because really the crop starts in August and it'll go till uh, Thanksgiving easily in our area, unless we get a really cold snap. So when that stem has produced berries, that stem should be removed? We usually wait until it starts to look really dead and looks like it's not productive at all. And, and then we, yes, uh, cut it out. And the reason is, is we used to just leave them, but uh, we found out that we had that mite problem when we had a little bit of drought stress. And we found that if it's uh, too crowded, you don't get the air circulation, the leaves get dusty and dry and mites love that. And we just found that it was easier just to remove it, open it up and, and get rid of it. And then it left a lot of opportunity for the rest of the canes to come up and grow. And then they, those come up, then they fruit and uh, we get a, a great crop. The, I say the heaviest crop is mid-August to the end of September, uh, a great crop. And I put up a lot of uh, jam, so uh, my husband has to pick. He he does all the picking. I, I do all the putting up. Uh, my husband calls himself the gardener. I'm the horticulturist. We used to work together on a lot of this stuff, but now uh, he's got me in the kitchen, you know, putting all this stuff up. He then will harvest about every five days because if you don't, Two things will happen. The fruit will get soft and mushy, and then it'll stop producing. But the soft and mushy attracts a fruit fly that goes to our cherry trees as well here. And we haven't had a real problem the last few years if you're really careful with keeping it up. But uh, sometimes if you let that uh, particular fruit fly uh, go wild here, uh, it will uh, infest the fruit with unknown little white maggots until you're making your jam and all of a sudden there they are. So, and especially the fall crops. So we have to be really careful and really religious about getting rid of any fruit that's too soft or decayed or whatever. And picking the raspberries, can you pluck them or do you have to cut them? No, in these, you just pull right off. They pull off very easily and uh, not a, not a problem at all. And in fact, when we uh, get down to the boysenberries, same thing. Uh, you can just pull them right right off. You don't have to cut anything. They're very easy to pick. They're not too, I mean, they're a little bit thorny, but, or, you know, a little bit of prickles on them, but not too bad. What does Mike the gardener use to uh, store the raspberries as he's picking them? Does he have a big bag or is he just no, carrying well, a bucket? So what I do is um, I like them because 
uh, to be in a colander. And so I have a lot of large metal colanders and some plastic colanders. That way there's more broad surface area. He brings them into the house then. And I kind of uh, make sure that they are well distributed because I put them in the refrigerator. And actually raspberries have a very, very long refrigerator life. Uh, they can easily stay in a refrigerator without having to put them up to do anything with them for five to seven days and not see any decay or anything as long as you've picked them without already having a problem with a soft fruit. I try to get to them, though, and put them up if I can within about two to three days. But if something happens and I get a little behind, it's really producing heavily. I can leave some of them in there. It works out really well, actually. Anything else you want to mention about raspberries? I think uh, raspberries are pretty easy to grow. And they're easy to prune and take care of. Um, they produce a beautiful crop and make fabulous jam. Uh, you just have to be uh, careful to attention for making sure you mulch, making sure that they don't ever ha- suffer any kind of a drought, uh, keep them irrigated evenly without too much water. They are sensitive to root rot. And we have our soil is a heavy clay soil, and we do have a type of phytophthora in our soil that does infect our raspberries occasionally. And we then, I've, I've had it actually identified at a state lab to make sure. So what we do is we just make sure that we pull those out occasionally. And, and then I, I really watch the irrigation, make sure that we're not keeping it too wet or whatever. But we're still going to get a little bit of it because it's in our soil. And you've got a heavy clay soil, and even just normal spring or winter rains or whatever keeps the soil wet. And as soon as that fungus gets active, then you have to be careful uh, not to keep it too wet. And and so it's kind of walking a little bit of a fine line there with the irrigation. But otherwise, they're pretty carefree. Once a year, fertilization is it and the pruning doesn't take much time. And I highly recommend raspberries. They're they're fabulous and they taste really good. Well, let's walk over to the other berries and, and, and see what's growing. I'm pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this podcast. My criteria, though, is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, and a product I would buy again. And you know who checks all those boxes? It's SmartPots. SmartPots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. SmartPots are sold around the world, and they're proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart pots come in a wide array of sizes and colors and can be reused year after year. Some models even have handles and that makes them a lot easier to move around the yard. Because the fabric breathes, smart pots are better suited than plastic pots, especially for hot climates. That breathable fabric has other benefits too. Water drainage issues? Not with smart pots. Roots that go round and round choking the root ball like they do in plastic pots? Doesn't happen with smart pots. These benefits will help you get a bigger, better plant than what you've gotten in the past with the same size plastic or other hard container. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers as well as select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com fred. And don't forget that slash fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your SmartPot order by using the coupon code FRED, F-R-E-D. Use it at checkout from the SmartPot store. 
Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of SmartPots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer Fred 10% discount, SmartPots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. We are at Pam Bone's house here in Sacramento County. Pam Bone, famous Sacramento County Master Gardener, the original Sacramento County Master Gardener, by the way. And we are at her home where they have developed a yard for over 40 years, and Pam loves berries. Pam, it's almost like Knott's Berry Farm here. You've got boysenberries here. Yes. I come from Washington State. My husband comes from Oregon State, and you have to grow berries, raspberries, boysenberries, whatever. Boysenberries are just ideal for making pies, and I make a lot of pies. They make a wonderful jam, and of course, they're delicious for fresh eating as well. And they love our Sacramento climate. Ah, so does that mean that in a state like Washington, they wouldn't do well? No, they do great there, too. They love it there. They do just as fine. So uh, you just have to decide, oh, do you have the um, the sun for them? They just like full sun and they do really well uh, in that. They um, are very adaptable, actually. Describe the trellis that you've designed for them. Years ago, we had a massive system with the big wooden crossbars on it and the ones that you see commercially and all. And it's pretty daunting thing. To, and it takes a lot of uh, time and energy to install. And it's uh, expensive. And uh, one day we had a massive tree fall and literally destroy our entire berry patch here, including the crossbars. And so we decided, you know what, we're going to do this a little easier. And we're going to use these T-bars, these metal T-bars with wires, and it works just beautifully. It holds them nicely. We've got uh, T-bars spaced out so that you've got uh, not too much tension on the wire, you know, too much stress on the wires here. And then uh, we've got uh, the three wire system so that the berries can be trained in three different locations and and, uh, tied on with little twisty ties. And then we use kind of a barrel method, uh, sort of where you, you come up from the base of the plant and then you go onto one of the wires and train the branches, sometimes as a barrel loop, if you've got a long enough cane and they loop around, gives a little more maximum sun exposure for the uh, plant. But yeah, these T-bars just work really, really well. They stay in the soil nicely and uh, they you can see they're they turn in just a little on the edges just because some of the tension's uh, late in the season. But you can twist the wire a little bit uh, tighter and and uh, it works great. And it's inexpensive, easy to do, and not so daunting. For you technically minded at home, the T-bars the are spaced about 8 to 10 feet apart. And there's a three-wire system on here that looks like it begins about 18 inches above the ground. And the next two wires are also spaced by another 18 inches. And so the, the total height of this is maybe four and a half to five feet. Uh, yes. And then um, some of the berries later in the season, then they'll stick up a little bit further and they'll lop over just a bit. But uh, otherwise, this contains them pretty nicely, actually. Uh, you can see that we do have some canes that are growing past the uh, wires. But uh, for the most part, it works well for us. If you've got a, a really, really vigorous uh, canes growing, then you might want to make a little bit taller. 
And, and a little bit more uh, support on the ends as well. Exactly. That's true, too. If they get really heavy and, and uh, laden down, then the wires then sag and, and that. And we get a little bit of that. But, gosh, it's a really inexpensive, easy way to do it. And, uh, and, and if for some reason you had to move it or adjust things or whatever, it's easy to do. Uh, this whole thing with the big wooden crossbars and people putting them in concrete and whatever else they do, it's... Oh, it's like digging a fence and, and, uh, I don't know, a permanent structure may not be what you needed to have. How do you care for boysenberries then? What are the watering requirements, the fertilization and the pruning requirements? Well, as far as watering goes, uh, they need uh, regular irrigation, at least uh, once a week irrigation. We have a drip irrigation system using the inline emitters in rows down the berries themselves. Uh, we have three lines on each of the rows, so uh, we encompass most of the root system. And then we want to make sure that we run that drip irrigation as long as uh water is flowing down into the root system. We want it to go down in as far as we can, uh, which is going to be at least 18, you know, 12 to 18 inches is where most of those roots are contained. So you want to make sure that you run the irrigation long enough. I will say that I uh, find that most people do not run their drip irrigation long enough and they just dribble out a little bit of water. Then you get a very shallow root system. And what happens if you have a dry spell, uh, you forget to water, something happens happens or whatever, then uh, the plants are really suffer. So watering is really critical. Uh, the other thing that uh, we do is we put on a lot of uh, wood chips. Um, we get a lot of arborist wood chips that are delivered to us and put that on. And then we always top dress with compost. Uh, we have a lot of compost piles. We have a lot of uh, oak trees and other uh, trees that produce leaves. And plus, of course, I save all my kitchen scraps in that. And uh, that compost then makes a wonderful top dressing. It doesn't completely eliminate fertilization, but it helps to give you a little bit of uh, nutrition as well as uh, keeping the soil moist and cool and uh, helping to um, mitigate uh, uh, soil fluctuations in temperatures. And then it's going to help with your watering as well. So fertilizing then about uh, once a year, already did it Um just a few weeks ago, just as the growth is starting uh, up in uh, usually early March, uh, then we go in with uh, an all-purpose fertilizer. Or in our case, uh, this year and in years past, uh, we often just get a, an all-purpose lawn fertilizer, high in nitrogen, which these berries need, and but it still gives you a little bit of phosphorus and potassium. But uh, nitrogen, people don't realize that you've got to have the uh, growth in order to produce flowers and uh, fruits. And the fact that we're putting on a lot of mulch and a lot of uh, compost on top, and that the soil in our area isn't real deficient in phosphorus and potassium, you don't need very much of it. You're going to get it from your mulch and your compost a little bit anyhow. So the nitrogen's the one thing that is transitory. You put it on and it flows right out with your waters. And you got to be careful not to overwater or you'll lose your nitrogen. So nitrogen's real important that it be put on annually for all fruits, whether they're uh, bushes or vines or uh, fruit trees. 
Always a good idea to have your soil tested before you do any planting so you know exactly what your soil needs. There are a couple of inexpensive uh, university-related soil testing sites that'll be glad to take your $20 and send you back a soil test report. One is uh, the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and the other is Colorado State University. If you look up uh, either of those universities and put in the words uh, soil test, uh, you'll get the uh, details on how to go about that. And they're fairly complete soil tests, too, so that is an inexpensive option. Of course, you can always soil test for macronutrients and pH yourself. Uh, you can buy, find those kits at any garden center or nursery. But yeah, know your soil before you plant anything. Are the uh, boysenberries like raspberries, once a branch produces, it's done? Yes, and in fact, in this case, because um, our raspberries, I was saying earlier, are uh, fall bears or ever bears, people call them because they produce two crops. This produces one crop. Uh, we get a crop in June, and then that's it. And then those berries, as soon as they start to really dry back and look kind of crispy, you just remove them. Then the new canes are all coming up from the base of the plant. And we let them just sprawl on the ground uh, while the others are dying back. Then we take them out and at some point then put the uh, new ones up onto the trellis. All right. Boys and berries. And what do you do with them? When do you harvest them? Harvesting is in June in our area. Um, basically, uh, they're pretty much finished by the 4th of July. We can usually count on the last crop just about then. And they will start producing about the first week of June. And uh, you can just you just come out and pick them. You pick them with your fingers. You don't have to use any kind of pruning equipment or anything like that. You just pluck them off. And they store very nicely in a colander in the refrigerator. And I make a lot of pies and jam with them. And uh, we eat them fresh and just love them. They're great. I, boysenberries are one of the most versatile berries and do well in a variety of climates as long as you have. They actually will tolerate the sun even better than raspberries. Full sun. They they don't do well in the shade as far as, oh, they'll produce a lot of vine, but who wants that? And then you do have to, one thing with uh, boysenberries, like any blackberry, because they're a type of blackberry, is that uh, they will send up uh, errant blackberries and you can get the blackberry mess if you're not careful uh, where the patch gets overgrown. So just go out there and uh, make sure you tidy up the rows occasionally and, and dig out those ones. Otherwise, we don't find them becoming the jungle at all unless you're just not keeping up with it. Are there boysenberry varieties? Boysenberry is a variety of blackberry. So there are nectar berries, which uh, some people say boysenberries and nectar berries are the same. There are logan berries. There are alala berries. These are all uh, types of berries that were developed from a blackberry. And then there are lots of just blackberries that are not crosses, but have been um, also genetically uh, grown to produce different varieties of uh, blackberries. So uh, you can just get an ordinary blackberry. These are a, a larger berry, a little bit softer berry. I like them because I think they're better for pies and that. Uh, we did grow uh, regular blackberries as well but found um, they weren't to my satisfaction for uh, baking with them and making jam. So we took them out and put in more boysenberries. How daunting are the thorns on these? You know, back in the day when we first put these in, the thornless berries didn't produce very well. They were not very good varieties. Now, I understand from a lot of growers and from the master gardeners that grow these at our Fair Oaks Horticulture Center that a lot of the thornless varieties are excellent now and do produce well. 
So we put in thorny varieties, and they're not that bad. I will say when we're tying them up, oftentimes you have to put tape or something on your fingers to prevent yourself from just getting little prickles into your uh, fingers, but uh, they're not that bad, and they just produce so well. It is a little hard to be tying branches uh, up to wires when you're wearing thick uh, goat gloves. You can't do that. That's the problem. And so doing something, and actually what works actually pretty well now, and I found that I like these, is just the little thin latex gloves you use for just clean up around the house and that. Uh, they actually work pretty well for being able to tie with those. And then you can replace them and they're cheap. There you go. That's a good quick tip. We are in the boysenberry patch at Pam Bone's house. It's uh, It looks to be very delicious, he said punnily. Thank you, Pam. Thank you very much, Fred. I enjoy uh, sharing my crop with you. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode in the show notes. Maybe you'd rather read it than listen to it. That's not a problem. We have a complete transcript posted, and you can find that link in the show notes or on our new homepage, gardenbasics.net. That's where you can find that link as well as all the previous episodes of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. There you can leave a message or link up with our social media pages, including our YouTube video page. And at GardenBasics.net, click on the tab at the top of the page to read the Garden Basics Beyond Basics newsletter. And that usually has a bonus podcast attached to it. Plus, in the show notes, there are links to any products or books mentioned during the show and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can just listen to the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. Want to leave us a question? Again, check the links at GardenBasics.net. And when you click on any episode at GardenBasics.net, you're going to find a link to SpeakPipe, where you can leave us an audio question without making a phone call. Or go to them directly, SpeakPipe.com slash GardenBasics. You want to call us? We have that number posted at GardenBasics.net. Spoiler alert, it's 916-292-8964, 916-292-8964. Email? Sure, send it along with your pictures to fred at farmerfred.com. Or again, go to gardenbasics.net to get that link. And if you send us a question, be sure to tell us where you're gardening, because as I am fond of saying, all gardening is local. Find it all at gardenbasics.net. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, Castbox, and Pocket Casts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.